This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And here we are. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Coming Home with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen. I want to remind everyone before we get started, if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening on a podcast platform, please look at the description of this episode. You'll see several links where you can click in to help support the work that I do. Um, Do that. I will do this stuff regardless, but it's always easier with a little bit of support. So today I am talking with Keith Redman and John Richardson. Good day, gentlemen. Hello to both of you. Hello. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for being uh, here. Hi, John. Good to connect with you again. Yeah, yeah. Nice to see you again. Um, to introduce the two of you, Keith, I want to introduce you as a consultant to Americans overseas and to accidental Americans. Uh, Keith is also the co-founder of Seat now um john you are a an attorney a canada a toronto-based attorney you also assist americans overseas accidental americans uh, and you're also a co-founder of seat Uh, more of you guys's background is going to come up uh, in this discussion but we are here to talk about a subject that is very near and dear well it's not very dear but it's very near to my heart Um, This whole thing about uh, taxation of Americans overseas. Uh, We have this thing called resident-based taxation, and we have a thing called citizen-based taxation. I can't talk today. Maybe it's because it's too cold here in my office. Um, Let's start with you, John. What is, can you just tell us in layman's terms, the difference between citizen-based taxation and how that affects Americans overseas and residence-based taxation and how that does or does not affect Americans overseas. Right. Well, this is all, these are all definitions of what are called tax residency, meaning what are the factual conditions under which a country would level the full force of their income tax laws on you. A residence-based taxation is what all of the world except for the United States employs, namely, you know, as you might expect, you're subject to the full force of a country's taxation if you're a resident of the country. Now, you know, different countries define residency in different ways, but the point is that you're either a resident or you're not. The U.S. uh, defines tax residency in terms of citizenship and citizenship only without regard, all right, to whether a U.S. citizen actually lives in the United States. Now, they don't tax only citizens. Of course, the U.S. also has residence-based taxation for people who are not citizens. But if you're a citizen, the Internal Revenue Code follows you and basically runs your life wherever you may exist in the world and without regard to whether you also meet the requirements to be a tax resident of another country. So, for example, let's take a country like, say, Norway, A U.S. citizen living in Norway would be subject to all of the U.S. tax laws, in addition, subject to Norway's tax laws. So they're basically dual tax residents. But what's interesting is that the United States actually imposes a separate, far more punitive and penalty-laden tax system on its citizens who live outside the United States. So in summary, not only does the United States impose full taxation, full worldwide taxation 
on its citizens who live outside the United States, but it's a variant of it that's far more punitive. Tell me a little bit about the punitive side of it, if you would, Keith. Um, Keith, by the way, I know that you have some very uh, strong feelings about this issue. Um, you are quite the vocal advocate, um, and we're, we're going to get to that. But can you tell me a little bit about the punitive side of things that Americans overseas face when it comes to American tax law? Certainly. I know when it comes to penalties, I'll have John talk about that. But as far as the punitive side is, it's, you know, it's very difficult as an American overseas to deal with two incongruent tax systems. So, for example, Norway, you're dealing, as John said, with the Norwegian tax system in concert with the U.S. tax system. So when it comes to the United States, anything that is deemed foreign, quote unquote, is looked at with uh, suspicion, if you will. And that's point number one. Point number two, aside from the penalties, the punitive nature is, is somebody living in Norway who's an American overseas cannot live a normal life because they are not able to invest like any other Norwegian in products that are offered, financial products which are offered in Norway. And that could be France, Germany, whatever. I'm, we're just using Norway as an example. So, uh, so for example, st- um, uh, investing in uh, mutual funds or investing in stocks or investing in retirement or getting a mortgage, um, you will not only have to deal with Norway, but you also have to deal with the U.S. side. For example, does the U.S. recognize that particular uh, retirement uh, scheme as a retirement scheme or just a a regular savings account um, where somebody is uh, taxed on it? Unlike in Norway, it might not be taxed going in. You see what I mean? I do. So there there are some myths out there um, where just because the U.S. may have a tax treaty with a particular country like Norway does not mean that there is no double taxation. And it's certainly a problem when you're dealing with unearned income, for example, things that are going into these financial products. So it creates a situation where you're an American living your life in Norway, but you're blocked out of many accounts because you just can't save like any other Norwegian. So that's the punitive nature in that aspect, aside from the penalty part. Well, yeah, and that's quite punitive in the sense that, uh, in the very real sense, that it limits us from doing what we want to do to secure our own future, our own retirement, uh, our own financial legacy, if we're thinking of uh, uh, our children who come after us. Um, Mm -hmm. What does the law say, John, about um, income tax when living overseas? Uh, Because being subject to American tax law doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean that one is double taxed, as Keith kind of mentioned. What can you say about income tax while living overseas? Well, you are double taxed, actually. Okay. And the uh, the tax treaty, um, as a general principle, although it appears to prevent double taxation, it does not. Uh, for the very simple reason that if you read what the treaty says, it says that it's always subject to the, you know, the local uh, tax law, you know, in the, in the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> now, when I say people are double taxed, I don't mean that people necessarily pay tax twice. But uh, 
if you're looking at the way foreign tax credits work or something like that, um, what a tax credit does is a way to pay tax that you owe the United States, right? It doesn't mean you're not double taxed. It's how you pay the tax, right, you know, with the credit. Now, it may well be that, you know, there are people who say, well, you know, that's a difference without a distinction. But I completely disagree because what's important to understand here is that, you know, you're asking specifically about the, the law. The law specifically requires American citizens, regardless of where they live, to pay tax on worldwide income, including, uh, you know, income earned in other countries. And the way this is done is if you look at Section 1 of the Internal Revenue Code, what it basically says that all individuals in the world are subject to U.S. worldwide taxation uh, unless they're a non-resident alien. Okay, So there's no doubt there's double taxation. It's just that some people end up not paying the U.S. tax, and some people do, in the same way that in the United States, some people end up paying federal tax, and some people do not. That's very interesting the way you word that. Let me, I'm not going to call this a pushback, but I, I just want to ask a, um, an extended question. Uh, is it not true that if you make under a certain amount as an American living overseas, that you will not be taxed? You have to file taxes in America, but you will not be taxed if you make under a certain amount in income. No, that is not true. Uh, okay. Let me refine what you're saying a little bit so that I could make it true. All right. <laughs> For a certain category of income, namely earned income, yeah. which I'll define as income from employment and perhaps some small business, there's a provision in the Internal Revenue Code that will allow you to exclude up to, I think it's about 107000 or somewhere in that nature anyway, from your U.S. income. Okay, but actually you have to include it, and then you exclude it, okay, because right. you have to file to actually do this. But my point is this, that we have moved into a world where it's not the case that everybody's income is employment income. There's investment income, there's pension income. Uh, I mean, there are all kinds of forms of income that do not qualify for that foreign earned income exclusion. Right. No, t no retirement income would qualify, for example. So, uh, you know, again, this is, this is one of these myths uh, that is uh, actually, um, you know, I want to say very gently but very firmly, no, it is not the case that this mere fact of having under $107,000 of foreign income means that it's excluded. It's restricted to a very specific kind of income. Just anecdotal. And I'd like, and yeah, I'd like to add, excuse me, John, and I'd like to add to what John's saying just to combat some of the myths that are out there is that with the foreign earned income exclusion, I think especially uh, Americans in the United States think that it's tax free income. It's not because you actually do pay tax on that income in the country in which you reside. So it's only excluded from U.S. tax. You see what I mean? That's very but well stated. Still, yeah, that's, you're still paying tax on it, right? So it's not tax free, <laughs> right? Right. It just means you don't have to deal with it from a U.S. tax perspective. But I emphasize again that you know this is a very, very narrow form of income, mm -hmm. and as society becomes more and more evolved, 
as capital becomes a bigger and bigger source of income, that foreign earned income exclusion becomes less relevant. I would also say this, John, that as a general principle, it is a mistake for people in, in unless you're in the Gulf or something like that, it is a mistake for Americans abroad to rely on the foreign earned income exclusion. Because by excluding the income, you know, A, you're not taking the foreign tax credits available against that income and thereby depriving yourself of the ability to build up possible excess foreign tax credits for future use. Interesting. That's a point that I don't know that a lot of Americans overseas consider. Yeah, and I would add to it also, by the way, that if you want to invest in IRAs and that sort of stuff, you're not going to take the foreign earned income exclusion. I mean, it's it's really a great mistake for, I would say, you know, if you accept the principle, and I think we can, that uh, most Americans abroad are living in places like Canada, Britain, Germany, France. You know, these are not exactly low-tax countries. Right, right. Uh, and another point that I want to make, I was just thinking about on the weekend, uh, is that, you know, a lot of, as you know, a lot of Americans are renouncing U.S. citizenship, and the exit tax rules actually apply to their non-U.S. pensions. And I'm going to write something up about this in the next week or so in conjunction with a CPA, just to make sure that, you know, that he or she is in agreement with what I'm saying. But if you were to take the foreign during income exclusion, right, and exclude income from U.S. taxation, uh over the years, basically, if you expatriate and your full foreign pension is ex included in your U.S. income on the day before, or rather is distributed and included in your U.S. income on the day before expatriation, you're not going to be able to deduct your contributions either, which is a huge additional tax. So the bottom line, John, is this. I appreciate this is a bunch of techni technical mumbo-jumbo, but the message is, don't jump in and use the foreign earned income exclusion on earned income, even if it's available. Very interesting. That is, um, I've never looked at it that way. And I'm not sure that many other uh, Americans living abroad have thought of that. Um, let me ask you something, Keith. You're very active uh, in a couple of online forums. And sometimes your guidance will lean towards... Um, don't get involved in the American tax system. If, if you're not in it, stay out of it. Damn, that, that, that depends on each particular person's situation. Mm -hmm. And, they, you know, I've dealt with people who, and I'll, you know, I'll take like the accidental American situation, for example. Tell us what that and is. Not everybody yeah, knows what that is. Right, exactly. And I'll just give, I'll, I'll give you the classic example of an accidental American. So, and I'll use somebody I know quite well. Um, gentleman who was born to French parents in the United States, and as a result of being born there, he's automatically a U.S. citizen. Well, he left literally in diapers at three or four months of age and moved to France with his French parents and has lived his life in France, doesn't speak English, doesn't have a U.S. passport, doesn't have a Social Security number, and lives his life. <clears throat> However, um, you know, it's expected of him to file a U.S. tax declaration every year and pay any U.S. taxes owed to the United States. Well, somebody like that, 
you know, depending on that person's situation, he doesn't have any assets. He has nothing in the United States, nothing at all. Somebody like that, there's no reason for him to enter the U.S. tax system. Now, there may be a, a situation where if he's going to renounce, he might do that. It's all a case-by-case basis. What I try to state to people is that there are options, that every option needs to be considered, and not to just blindly yeah. enter the U.S. tax system. You really have to think it through because it's not a, it's not a static action. It's a dynamic action, right. meaning you just don't do it once. You got to do it every year moving forward. Right. Well, a lot of uh, Americans living overseas are terrified of the situation that they're in. There's some of us out here who maybe some people didn't know they had to file taxes. Uh, maybe they, they grew up, they spent most of their lives in America, and then they end up moving somewhere else. And they think, well, I'm out of the country, I'm out of the tax system. I don't have to file. But then they mm -hmm. find out that they're supposed to file according to the IRS. And right. they're terrified and they don't know what to do, what to do. And they start wondering if their passport's going to get yanked or are they going to get in trouble the next time yeah. uh, uh, they're, they're passing through customs and immigration when they go to visit grandma. Right. Uh, well, no, they're not going to get arrested going to the United States because there's many reasons why somebody's not in the U.S. tax system. They might not have any income, for example. You know, there's somebody that maybe have just made a couple hundred euro or dollars a year. So there's no reason for them to be in the system. And no, there's a lot of scaremongering that goes on that you're going to be arrested at the border going into the United States. That's just not happening. No. But could there be a potential arrest situation or, or some sort of legal quandary for an American who spent most of their life in the States, filed taxes for years in the States, they, oh, I think we just lost, uh, we just lost John Richardson. Are you still there, Keith? I am still here. So let's, okay, you know, let's, I'm sure he'll sign back in. Yeah, let's continue. <laughs> sure. Um, where was I? Yes, that American who grew up in America, lived part of their adult life there, filed taxes, paid taxes, then they move overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, find out after a few years maybe that, hey, man, you live overseas, but the IRS says you're supposed to continue paying taxes. Right. So they do that out of fear. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. Yes. But in doing that, and maybe they do this for a year or two or three, and then they think, screw this, this is crazy. Right. I'm not going to file anymore. Is yeah. there a danger? Because now they have re-entered the system. They've well, that depends. They've re-entered yeah. the system as an American overseas, which is, uh, you, mm -hmm. I would think they're going to stand out more. Or that's what a lot of people think. Now I stand out more because I filed as an American living overseas. And I, let's, let me let John back in here. Uh, and I, uh, and now I stop filing and now I have mm -hmm. to be afraid. What do you say to that American well, again, it depends. Each case must be weighted on its own merits, and it depends on what level of quote-unquote danger there is. You know, if they don't have anything in the United States whatsoever, it just depends on what they are looking to do. I mean, you know, one has to take a look at what is their end result. Um, are they, you know, are they, do they want to renounce? Do they just want to just continue on with not filing? It just, you know, there's no cookie-cutter approach to the right. situation. But I will say this, is that the people, the Americans, who have the most difficult time overseas 
are the ones who are in the U.S. tax system. Yeah. And those are the ones that really need to have the help um, with this. Yeah. Those are the ones who are suffering. Well, yeah, you know, those are the ones who are going to, you know, I, I, I hear the the horror story. Some of it's anecdotal um, in the sense that I, it's, I've heard it through the grapevine. But some people have actually spoken with me about this, that they are an American living in Norway in this example. Um, and they have had a mortgage, sometimes for years. Mm -hmm. but, but all of a sudden... All of a sudden, they get a note, or, you know, a mail in the in uh, a, a note in the mail or a phone call from their bank saying they cannot, they can no longer have this mortgage because we have now found out that you are a tax resident of the United States. And what a horrible thing to have happen! That can yeah. be so uprooting of your entire life, your entire financial past, present, and future can just be wrecked because of something like that. And it happens. Yeah, absolutely. And it's usually they've been identified as a U.S. person. Yeah. Is what it is. And so they would need to supply either a social security number or a certificate of loss of nationality yeah. to be able to move forward. And that's as a result of the enforcement tool of, of citizenship-based taxation, which is FATCA. And FATCA is a problem of the problem of citizenship-based taxation. And I know, you know, John can certainly elaborate more on that one, uh, identifying, you know, focusing on what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the interest of keeping things uh, rolling, um, I want to I wanna ask you this. I had a conversation on my show a couple months ago, three months ago, with uh, Mary Louise Serrato. <clears throat> yes. And... Have you seen, have you heard that episode or watched that episode? Unfortunately, I have not. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. Yes. Do, do you see eye to eye or do you not with the way American citizens abroad advocates for this topic, this issue of citizen-based taxation? Well, we certainly see eye to eye that there is a problem yeah. and that it does need to be addressed. Yeah. And that um, what she and American citizens abroad are doing, making it known up on Capitol Hill and through their uh, their channels is very important, very important. And we certainly see eye to eye on that, I think. And I'm just speaking for myself um, where I don't see eye to eye is their version of residency based taxation, where what residency based taxation is is severing U.S. citizenship from tax residency, full stop, number one. And number two, uh, the remedy for dealing with FATCA, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, yeah. um, they're more of a proponent of same country exception, whereas... What is that? Same country exception is that, for example, um, you're an American living in France, and... Um, because you're living in France, that you would not have to report either, you know, uh, the banks don't have to report your financial details yeah. to the French tax authorities and then in turn to the IRS because you're living in France. Okay. Yeah. Um, but as you know, there are a lot of people around who live on the borders of different countries, right. just like living on the borders of different states. Right. And it's not practical. And number two, over the years, I have uh, spoken with key banking executives and a few banking authorities in different countries. Yeah. And they have all said that it doesn't resolve the problem. 
because the problem is the 30% withholding penalty, and it actually just creates a more administrative cost and burden to go through that. And uh, it just it, it, it's not a resolution to that problem. And then the last point is, is that FACTA same country exception does not go hand in hand with residency based taxation. It doesn't make sense because if you have residency based taxation, that means that anything that you're doing outside the United States, whether you have an account as an American in France in France or in Germany or in Netherlands or in Norway, yeah. it's all excluded. Yeah. All excluded. One would so think. there are some yeah. right. So there are some uh, um, some fundamental differences. But you, in a sense, are hand in hand with American citizens uh, abroad in the sense that you believe that this is as big of a problem as they believe, and vice versa. They believe it's as big of a problem as you do. You guys just kind of differ in the nuances uh, when it comes to definition and probably methods methodology when tackling this issue am i right so th that's why we started seat and seat is stop extraterritorial american taxation and the premise for seat is it's an education and informational source organization and what our objective is is to promote residency-based taxation yeah which, again, at the risk of being repetitive, is severing U.S. citizenship from a tax residency. Okay. <clears throat> One thing that I've always figured is, in, in a way, I can't blame um, these different countries, Norway, for example. I can't blame them when they come forward to an American using their banking system, uh, making investments, having a mortgage. I almost can't blame these banks for stepping in and saying, you know what? we're not going to let you have a mortgage. We're not going to let you invest in stocks. We're not going to let you save in a mutual fund. Uh, it's too complicated. There's too much bureaucracy that the United States through the IRS is imposing on us as a Norwegian bank or as a French bank or as a British investment firm. Um, do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I kind of, I under, it's quite the unfortunate thing to have happen well, it is unfortunate, and it has to do with not so much the foreign, the financial institutions, but the intergovernmental agreements, which are which uh, are the enforcement of FATCA, if you will. And unfortunately, FATCA has been thrust on these countries under threat of thirty percent withholding penalty on any U.S. transactions that go through these foreign finance, well, these financial institutions in the different countries. So, uh, as a result, this is what has happened is this terrible situation for anyone who has been identified as a U.S. person. So, but that identification, let's make this clear for the, for the viewers and listeners here. Sure. That identifying of a bank customer or of, a, of an investor in France or Norway or England or wherever, that identification, does that mean uh, what does that mean in practical terms for that financial institution? What is it that makes them block Americans from their services from time to time? Well, it's, it's listed in the IGAs, the Intergovernmental Agreements, the different criteria for identifying a U.S. person. And it can be the obvious one is a U.S. birthplace, number one. Number two is um, even if they don't have a U.S. birthplace, let's say they have opened up the account with a U.S. passport um, in that particular country. Uh, number three, they happen to have 
U.S. address on file. And that certainly happens to uh, expats in other countries in the United States. So you have that group of people as well. And so these are the red flags where the letter is generated for FATCA that's sent out to these individuals explaining that they need to supply either a social security number or a CLN or certificate of loss of nationality, which one gets when one renounces one's U.S. citizenship. Now, one can, can um, how would you say, uh, this is where I lose my English because I know it in <laughs> French, one can, can, one can self-certify that, they're a, that they are not a U.S. person yeah. and list the criteria and the reasons why. But I know John would say so with something like that, they would need to go to a professional like John who deals with this all the time to make sure that it's done correctly. I know people who have done the self-certification and it's up to the bank or the financial institution to accept or not accept. And I've seen that happen where it's accepted and where it's not accepted. Because sometimes I wonder if it wouldn't be, is it as simple as that American citizen living abroad saying to the bank, well, I'm not a tax resident of the United States and saying that in full disagreement with what the U S government and the IRS actually no, I think it's going to be more, it, it, they're going to have to, no, it's going to be more of almost telling the story of their life. For uh-huh. example, look, I was born in the United States. I left at three months of age. I have nothing. I have no U.S. passport. My life is in France. My life is in Norway. Here's what my life is about. Yeah. And no, I am not a U.S. person. And putting the criteria down, boom, 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 yeah. why you're not. And then it's up to, you know, doing it appropriately with a proper professional. Um, who knows how to put that type of self-certification together and then presenting it to the bank to see if it is accepted or not. Do you that provide, has been done. In your consultation with Americans overseas and with accidental Americans when it comes to all things uh, uh, citizen-based taxation and what to do about it, are you in a position to where you can do that no, I no, don't provide no. that service. I'm no. not a tax attorney. That's an attorney. I'm not a CPA. Right. That is someone or or an attorney. So somebody like John. But you do uh, no. advise. But you do advise people on their options. Am I right? You do. I advise people on their options and what the risk level, the real out. Excuse me, the reality on the ground of the risks. Yeah. And I let them make the decision for themselves on what they want to do based on the options and based on the risk level on those options based on their particular profile. And I want to say this in, in support of what you do, Keith, the, the, the work that you do in advising uh, these people, uh, there is value in that. In other words, it's not free. You do take a fee. Uh, I don't want this to be a situation where people search your name up on social media and they're bombarding you uh, with expectations, uh, you know, of course you have your own way of filtering that out, but I want to do my part and say that there is value in the work that you, Keith Redman provides for people when you consult them on this issue. Yes, yeah. there is value. And I provide what I will provide for that fee and they either accept that or they do not. And that's perfectly okay. How if they... They... Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say if they accept it, then we move forward. If they don't accept it, not a problem. Not a problem whatsoever. Now, if people need help, and I know there's a lot of people out there who need help, um, I want want people to be able to get uh, to you. uh, And I'll talk with John afterwards. That's a shame that John 
got cut out like this, but uh, technical difficulties. But for you, Keith, where can people find you if they want to engage you and and uh, and pay for your services? How, what's the easiest way for them to get in touch with you? Well, there's a couple different ways. Number one, they can certainly email me. Um, that's uh, at us underscore overseas underscore advocate at outlook.com. Um, that's one way. The other way is through the American Expatriates for Residency-Based Taxation Facebook group, which I founded back in 2013, and we're almost at 9,000 members right now. Um, that's another way for them to do so. They can also find me on the SEAT website, seatnow.org, S-E-A-T-now.org, is another way. Um, and then John and uh, Anthony Parent of IRS Medic and I also do a weekly podcast as well. And, and I want to say, I, wanna, I just want to, I just want to jump in. People, you need to go and check out. I watched the video version on YouTube uh, okay. of of the IRS Medic people. Everybody listening and watching, go to YouTube, watch that. It, it's available on Spotify and iTunes. Also, am I am I right, Keith? Um, it's it's available on YouTube for the moment. It will okay. be, become more expansive. Okay. Okay. And that's what their next steps are to have it on Apple and Spotify. But IRS for the moment, Nick. it is right is the YouTube channel. And I will say on behalf of John Richardson is that there will be people that it's better for them to just contact John Richardson mm -hmm. themselves. And they can do that through John at citizenshipsolutions.com. And his website is citizenssolutions.com. And he puts up his blogs there. And he's someone who is very good. He knows excellent. the ins and outs of citizenship yeah. and the taxation issues, uh, deals with renunciations, deals with self-certifications, deals with uh, everything that has to do with those particular issues. So sometimes people will come to me yeah. based on their situation, and sometimes they need to go directly to John. Okay. Let me ask you this, Keith, in closing. Um, what do you see happening in the next couple of years? Let's, let's say for, forward uh, till uh, between now and 2024, uh, the next presidential election. What do you think is going to be the development when, it's, when it comes to citizen-based taxation versus residence-based taxation? Any developments well, I, you predict? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. I think, you know, more and more noise is out there today than yeah. ever as it relates to the problems of Americans overseas. Yeah. And I think that needs to be done through a number of different channels. Um, that means from a legislative channel, from a judicial channel, from an advocacy channel, yeah. from an, just an overall education and information channel, uh, especially when it comes to uh, people in the U.S., as well as in the different countries around the world on the problems of citizenship-based taxation. Yeah. But I think what will need to be done, and this is a tall order, but it is something that is imperative, is that Americans overseas need to get behind this one unifying principle of severing U.S. citizenship from tax residency mm -hmm. and needs to stand up for their rights and put their rights at the forefront in, in front of homeland Americans' rights. They need to act like Americans overseas because at the end of the day, 
this citizenship-based taxation actually harms their countries of residence because it takes money out of the country's respective economies. So That's it right. is a serious problem. That's right. That it needs is. to be yeah. that needs to be um, said ad nauseum. Would you say then, uh, is this another way of saying that um, this massive political block, which Americans overseas are, is drastically under-vocalized, drastically under-mobilized, under-used? Well, it, yeah, it is, because um, many Americans overseas, and this is my opinion, many Americans overseas act like they're still in the United States. So they're in Very their political well partisan silos. Very well and said. As long as they're in their political partisan silos and acting as if they're in the United States, it's going to be very difficult for any type of change. Yeah. Because you know what? At the end of the day, the American overseas who is having a difficult time with this situation, they're Republican, they're Democrat, they're independent, they're nonpartisan, they're apartisan. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. And to, to be unified under this is going to have to put that partisanship aside and come together and stand up for their own rights. Amen. I'm with you on that, my friend. I want to thank you uh, also, Keith, for, for coming on. I want to tell everybody who's watching and listening, contact Keith if you have questions, if you need help. Contact John Richardson if you have questions and if you need help. Uh, these two gentlemen's these two gentlemen are out there uh, doing the good work for people like you, if you are an American citizen or accidental American. Okay. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being here. Remember, check out the link, check out the links that you'll find in the uh, description of this episode. Uh, that's where you can go if you want to support the work that I do. Thank you all so much for being here. Go out there, love and be loved and enjoy the process. Bye now.